Hey everyone, uh, we have another episode that's gonna have a little bit of a different format. I am in Unionville, Pennsylvania for the week, and I'm sitting across from uh, my very dear friend, no pun intended, Soren Rubin. And uh, we've, we've been up to some stuff this week, and we're gonna be up to some stuff uh, this coming week, and we thought we'd just share uh, with our audience what we've been up to because I think it's some really interesting stuff Soren, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's mm. been uh, it's been fun hanging out and I'm looking forward to the next couple days as yeah. well So you ditched me in California uh, We uh, Soren, Soren used to live in San Francisco, uh, which is where I am at and now he's in Unionville, Pennsylvania and uh, For the longest time when we were in San Francisco I think we have different interpretations of what was happening. I, I was convincing him to go hunting because I really want to try hunting. Your recollection of events was? Um, you wanted to go get a live chicken at a poultry market in Oakland and then kill and butcher it in the backyard. Yeah. Which, in my view, was like the first step to, to hunting. A, a form of hunting. <laughs> a form of hunting. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, we I remember having this conversation with you. You were very resistant, and then um, you moved out here during the pandemic, and you've actually, um, I would say, have done quite a bit of hunting here. I have. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, what changed for you, and then, uh, for, okay, I think I should probably set the stage and say we are on a hunting expedition this week. But tell us about your first hunting experience. Yeah. And actually, before that, also mention what you're doing now in uh, in uh, Unionville. Yeah, so I'm in Unionville. Um, my wife and I own a small market and coffee shop that's really dedicated to supporting small, sustainable local businesses around food production, uh, around helping people to meet the people who grow and make what they're eating and drinking, and just making that a, a slightly more intimate and and close relationship. Uh, for me, that's pretty close to, to the way I started hunting. Um, I'd been a vegan for a year and a half, and that was really prompted by just feeling uncomfortable with the way we procure meat as a society, sort of the grotesque nature of factory farming and the way that that works. Um, but unfortunately, veganism really didn't work for my body. It just did not make me feel good. Um, and so I knew I wanted to start eating meat again. And I knew if I was going to do it, it had to be in a way that I was comfortable. A way that, um, that I felt like I was involved in the process. And the process was transparent and I knew that would be hunting. So I... Uh, early days in the pandemic, I bought a, a bow and arrow and I just practiced pretty religiously all, all summer. And then in the fall, the hunting season came around here in Pennsylvania and I went out in the woods. And I think I knew that morning when I went out that I was going to come back as a vegetarian for life or as a hunter for life. <laughs> you know, I knew it was going to go one of two ways. Uh, and I was lucky enough to to uh, shoot a deer, well-placed shot that morning, uh, 
Um, she died in maybe 10 seconds and I, you know, processed the entire deer, gutting, skinning, everything, packaging it, freezing it. And, you know, my family and I have eaten that meat over the course of the last year. Uh, and I can say without a doubt, definitely one of the most rewarding experiences of my whole life and something I will be doing for the rest of it as, you know, as long as I can. Take us to that moment where you saw the deer for the first time. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you were sitting either on the ground or, or a tree stand. Um, uh, yeah, maybe take us there. Tell us what your sensory experience was like. Uh, you told me that it was the most amount of adrenaline you've ever felt in your life. Yeah. Um, so backyard hunting, Pennsylvania style, uh, fairly common style of deer hunting um, particularly with a bow just because the nature that you have to be so close to the animals um, so it's a 16 acre wooded parcel i had to set a few tree stands up through the summer which is basically just a way of elevating yourself a little so you're kind of out of the deer's view um, and also keeping your scent off the ground a little bit i was waiting for a couple hours didn't see anything and then finally i saw a few deer coming over a little hill crest and just feeding across the hill in my direction. And, and the second I saw them, my heart rate went up to close to what I would consider a heart rate from a heavy sprint. Like if I had been sprinting for a minute, that's how high my heart rate was. And I was just standing there silently. Um, there's something opened up in my brain, some deep, the attention, the focus, and um, you know, I slowly reached for my bow and they were feeding closer and closer and I was working to stay as still as I could. And as they started to really get close and I knew there was a, a decent chance I would have a clear shot at this, the one, the larger doe that I was gonna, gonna shoot. I remember my heart was beating so hard that even though I was trying to hold my breath, the pressure in my chest was forcing air to expel out of my mouth. So I was making these little like, <laughs> like noises that I couldn't control. And I tried to slow my breathing a little bit and I had an opportunity where she put her head down to feed and I drew my bow and um, about 27 yards, I released the arrow, it was a good hit, and she ran off into the brush, and then I heard a crash, I knew that she had gone down. Um, How did you, I, I would imagine some people listening to this are like, oh, you just, um, you killed someone, right? You killed an animal, and we, I mean, we, anyone who eats meat sort of uh, participates in that, but it's, it's, it's one thing to buy something from a grocery store, or you sort of shut out where, like what the process has been to bring here. It's another to uh, see something and then shoot it and then uh, witness it uh, dying. Um, were you sort of just in that moment, like just getting the job done, or what was like what was that moment like for you? I think a large part of it was execution, no pun intended. Um, just focusing on the task. It's so unbelievably challenging to kill an animal with a bow and arrow. Um, this is a, a wild animal that 
has evolved for millions of years solely to stay alive. That is its one purpose. Uh, humans have been hunting them for, you know, hunting them with bows and arrows and spears for at least 50,000 years. You know, that's as long as we have a written record of it and probably longer than that. So these are animals that have, that have evolved to protect themselves. And so there was a lot of focus on that. Um, I think the sadness of it for me and the weight of killing an animal really came when I, you know, had eventually come down from my tree stand and gone to find my deer. Um, and it's a beautiful animal, you know, I think, I think people who don't hunt have a, a challenge sort of understanding how you could shoot something with an arrow and kill that you love. I mean, I genuinely love deer. I just love deer. You know, I'm assessed with their, their biology, every, everything around them. Um, for me, though, it's brutal and visceral. I think there's much less harm and much less suffering in procuring meat in that fashion than buying it at a grocery store. Ultimately, that animal is completely free range uh, living its life. It has a terrible five to ten second end of life. But the um, the anxiety is limited. This isn't an animal that's being... Even the most ethically raised grass-fed animals living in a pasture still have to be transitioned and driven to a slaughterhouse. You know, they, there's an anxiety in that process. There's a macabre nature to a slaughterhouse. This is... Um, You know, people say to me, like, oh, how could you go from being a vegan to being a hunter? For me, hunting is the closest a meat eater can be to being a vegan. It's the most ethical, kind, respectful way of, of procuring meat. And, of course, there's a sadness to it. But the reality of our existence is you can't live on the earth without killing things. Whether it's, you know, a couple of blades of grass when you're walking, or whether you're killing an animal to eat or pulling a bunch of kale out. It's just because a deer is so similar to humans in its biology that we anthropomorphize it and attach a greater weight to it, I think. Um, but, right, we, we ultimately have to kill things to survive. It's just nature yeah that is a very paradoxical um maybe tragic like just um illustration of the way things are like the way nature is set up it is set up in a very um well on paper adversarial um uh set of relationships and even i think people who like even if you take medicine right that medicine has been tested on lab rats or or like so many animals have died just for any kind of medicinal cons uh, consummation so it is a very it is something that i think people struggle to uh come to terms with come to peace with i think the the reaction is almost like um um I had an interview with someone who, who, who works with horses and, and there's sort of a, especially in the modern world, there's a reluctance to accept part of you that is a predator, the mm -hmm. part of you that um, does uh, 
kill and can um, enact violence. I think, uh, I mean, you've talked a lot about masculinity in the past. And I think there's there's a part of masculinity as well that has to come to terms with its ability to enact violence. Otherwise, it will be repressed. At least that's my point of view. I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I think that um, regardless of of it being a man or a woman perpetrating it, I think that violence is an inherently masculine energy just in terms of its, its force. And I think that I think that people are terrified and I'm not immune to this. You know, I'm, I'm afraid of the parts of me that can, that can kill literally. Um, but I'm more afraid of ignoring those parts because that's when I think things get really hairy when you have no relationship with that part of yourself and and I'm not saying that you have to kill things I'm just saying that if you are not aware of that ability that's when things can get dangerous that's really projecting out onto to the world an insecurity about that I think that we're so divorced from the necessity to enact violence. Um, you know, I, I think, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, I could never do this or I could never do that. And it's just, to me, that's nonsense. They just haven't been in a circumstance where it's been necessary. Um, you know, what mother is, is not gonna protect their newborn child by any means necessary in, in the right situation what person is not going to kill an animal when they become hungry enough. Um, these are capabilities that we've had that have been developed over thousands of years of evolution for the very extreme circumstances that we have found ourselves in as organisms, collectively, historically, not as individuals. Um, so I think that inherently that is a masculine energy um, sort of in the yin and the yang of, of energy, but I, I don't know that it's entirely specific to men. Um, does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. I agree with you. The, the energy can be expressed by man or woman. Um, there's a biological um, setup that a man has that makes it easier to for uh, sure, just because our testosterone levels make us more predisposed to aggressive activities. Yeah. yeah, for sure. We did a little bit of backyard hunting um, in the lead up to our actual expedition uh, starting tonight or tomorrow morning, depending on how things play out. And one of the things I noticed, so, so we were, uh, you had built like a tent kind of thing uh, in uh, the backyard of someone's property. And... I noticed a couple of really interesting things. One is um, how 
cognitively my brain was functioning so different than it's functioning at work hmm. um like you know work has its um challenges and stressors but the way i react to them is is was i'd put it this way a very different part of me got activated as there it was a very sensory part of me i could i was very attuned to smell sounds um line of sight uh skin sensitivity in, in a way that i've never really been in my life and i was like wow there was this like deep evolutionary part of our brain that just uh in a, our our urban environment doesn't cause it to turn on but it can it can turn on and it's very powerful uh yeah absolutely i think that you know the first time i went hunting i opened a, a door in my brain that i never knew was there and my love and passion for hunting comes from the relationship with my food and with my family's food and with the ability to go and harvest and sustain myself that's definitely a component of it but the other part of it that that I that I really cherish is the fact that it's essentially a very intense and targeted meditation all of these sensory elements constantly noticing wind changes across your skin picking working i mean working to pick up scents working to smell working to see in in a way that we really have done as organisms for most of our species existence it's really only been the last you know there's been a progressive turn off of those things over the last say 2000 years um at least in the the classical histories um you know on on the land that we're sitting on right now 500 years ago there were native americans here who were doing the very same thing probably sitting exactly where we were sitting waiting hiding in vegetation waiting for an animal to to pass by i mean these are these are ancient things and so when you engage in that activity <clears throat> the brain just goes oh yeah i know what i'm supposed to be doing right now <laughs> like i've done this before i know this is coded deeply you know in 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 my dna i'm i'm ready to rock and roll i think there's something very satisfying about that so i'm not surprised that um that you were keyed into that and i was happy about that cuz my anxiety that you would be bored because you tell someone that on paper oh, we're just going to go sit in the woods silently you know um yeah and for people who don't know we were in the woods for 3 hours for yeah. two for two evenings here just sitting still yeah so um that could sound boring and um there's something magical that happens i think it's um it's not divorced from the concept there's a japanese concept called shinrin yoku which translates to forest bathing and it's something that physicians actually prescribed to super stressed out salary men corporate workers basically get your ass in the woods <laughs> and sit there and just notice because something different when i love hiking i love mountain biking i love moving through the woods but when you sit still and let that environment envelop you it's a totally different experience it really is 
Yeah, I think it was like the sitting, but then also having a goal. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, um, like our goal-oriented brains uh, came from uh, our hunting past, right? That's like, we, we need to find a target and, 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 and track it. And it was like, because if you had put me at a meditation retreat for two hours, Without that kind of goal, I would have been bored out of my life. I think I've tried that. I've gotten bored out of my life. Um, but here, having a goal of like, okay, if there's going to be deer, we're going to hunt them. Uh, something about that goal just like snapped my attention in a way that was very visceral. Yeah, undoubtedly. Um, don't get me wrong. It can get boring and tedious hunting. Uh particularly when you start to get into the longer durations, the, the 10, the 12 hour sitting, um, when, when a strategy calls for that. But that brings into, into play a whole different set of mental challenges and exercises. Uh, but it definitely is just a very innate part of our brain. It also makes me think, are we really meant for consistency? Like in the workplace, uh, we both worked in sales. It's like every quarter there's like target, uh, consistency is um, rewarded. Uh, but in this natural environment, it's like no action. And then in a, in a matter of five seconds, a lot of action, right? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think that the natural world is is not gauged for regularity. That's not a part of it at all. You think of pretty much any animal, there's often a long period of starvation before a successful hunt. Humans are the same way. Um, Prior to meat preservation, you kill an animal, you eat as much of that animal as you can because that's going to have to last you for a long time and <clears throat> and you prioritize the fat in the meat because that's gonna yeah that's gonna um, yeah spoiler so bow hunting is hard in the way that we were doing it the past two days and 10x harder in the way we're going to be doing it in the next two tell people a little bit about, bit about how we've done it in the past two days and what our plans are yeah, so in the past two days, uh, we've been hunting on a small farm parcel uh, here in Chester County, Pennsylvania. You know, park the truck and hike up about 200 yards up a hill and set up there. It's a small parcel with, a, you know, a few homes within a few hundred yards. Uh, decent vegetation cover, but there's not really room to move around. Um, it's really about sitting in in one place, predicting the deer's movement through that parcel of land, reading the sign on the ground, reading the wind, the habitat, and understanding where they're gonna be. Again, you have to essentially be very close to where the deer are gonna be before they get there, which is a challenge in and of itself, but it's a very different challenge than what we're gonna be doing in the next few days, which is going up into, 
a public a public land parcel. It's a state forest, about one hundred and fifteen thousand acres. Um, it'd take you a week to walk across it, um, and it's not full of deer in the same way. There are large areas you could have you know, big hemlock groves with no understory in the forest that are going to essentially be pretty empty of deer most of the time. You could have, you know, an open area that has successional growth with small shrubs, bushes, reasonable cover that's going to be fairly full of deer, but finding those areas in this huge parcel of land is a challenge. There's a lot of hiking, a lot of hiking. And then punctuated with small periods of stillness once you think you're in an area where there might be something productive happening, but it's it's a much different game. Something we talked about was uh, probability. Mm-hmm. We were both very familiar with Nassim work. And um, it's just very interesting to see it out in nature where uh, we actually... Uh, Statistically, probably had a rare event where we saw deer two days in a row. There were specific conditions that probably led to that. And then the other thing was um, we had the good probability of seeing the deer, but then I think they didn't come into, well, one time uh, they came too late, and then the other time they didn't come in the actual area of uh, line of fire. Um, Yeah, I think um, so important thing to to note is that those deer were yesterday at 140 yards, which is well within easy gun range. Very, very straightforward shot, very consistent. With bow hunting, there are so many factors that have to align, the probability is very small. Um, you know, considerations of wind, distance of the animal, how much are you moving, sounds, a lot of things have to come together and the probability of of harvesting an animal with a bow is very small but it's it, it is an asymmetry in that we have a known downside you basically go sit in the woods for a certain period of time um and an unknown upside because all of those there can be a confluence of all of those factors and right if we end up shooting one deer this weekend, you know, as on this trip, that's going to be a great success. And so um, that deer may well be an outlier in some sort of basic statistical distribution, but we don't really care. All we need is one outlier. Yeah. Um, so it, it plays into a funny role in that way. Yeah. And there's also, there's a bit of uncertainty where we have these two days plan that we can come back with no deer, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's, uh, um, yeah, when you play with probabilities, you can you can get the full spectrum. Um, so the the ID band recording this was recorded pre, which is today, and then a post after two days, and we'll um, uh, the second part of the podcast will be around the post. Uh, I want to just uh, briefly talk about our you training me on how to shoot a bow this earlier this morning. Yeah. Um, it was fun to watch. I, uh, 
you know, I had, I had such a powerful and transformative experience hunting last year. Um, it was really life-changing, not only for the meaningful nature of the experience, but also because I grew up in a, a very liberal household on the East Coast where the thought of hunting was something that was reserved for um, sort of dumb, drunk guys from Louisiana driving around on four-wheelers shooting at things with machine guns. Genuinely, you know, I had a, a really prejudiced and biased perception of what hunting was. And as I started to get more interested and really learn about the role of hunting and the funds that come from it and the people involved in it are really the 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 leaders and the the stewards of public land and, and habitat in this country. I, I really just the the entire experience for me was so important and meaningful that I wanted to introduce other people who maybe thought about hunting the way I did prior. Um, sort of share the power of the experience and so I got a crossbow, which is um, a much easier way to, to bow hunt. It's essentially taking a number of the variables of, of using a traditional bow out of, um, out of hunting and allows someone like Asad to, to come out and spend a day practicing and be proficient to where he could ethically harvest an animal under the right circumstances. So um, we went out this morning and I could tell he was fairly apprehensive in the beginning, which is good. It's, it's, um, you know, these bows are tools, but they're very powerful and dangerous tools. And yeah. And just so people know, I was going into it thinking, okay, I'm going to be holding this weapon of death. <laughs> which you are. I mean, you are yeah. ultimately, it's, it's, it's a good way to think about it. Um, you do not want that arrow to go somewhere you don't want it to go. Um, so I think that's that's good, and so sort of the I could see the tension in your body, the the nerves, the the things of that nature. But after you got a few shots off, after you got a few arrows going, and started to get a feel for the mechanism and for how it worked, and how you kind of become part of this machine by connecting it to your body and to your to your senses through your eyes and through your fingers and things like that. Um, it didn't take us long for you to get to a place where I have full confidence that given the right circumstances, you will be able to, um, to shoot a deer in a, in a way that will kill it very quickly and cleanly. So that's, um, that's encouraging. Yeah. It, it just uh, makes me think about just exposure to things you're uncomfortable with, because mm -hmm. I think, uh, I spend a few minutes just like holding the bow and like, putting my hands around it and then my first shot I could feel internally um, uh, that it was a very high stakes situation because it's like oh it's a bull if I shoot it wrong someone could get hurt but then as soon as I press that trigger the bow release, but something in my brain also just released. Like, oh, this is this is not something that's um, alien anymore. It's like, okay, I can I can I can work with it. It's like, so yeah, a little bit. It's a little bit of, of it is a part of me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, um, as I as I mentioned, they are tools, um, and so you know, you can you can definitely hit yourself in the back of the hand with a hammer accidentally, and it's going to really hurt. And you can definitely have an accident with one of these tools as well, and it will probably be a much more grievous one. But once you familiarize yourself with the with the way that it works and the way to use it and respect it. Um, it was just great. It was great to watch you develop a, a comfort so quickly. So great. All right. I think this is a good place to stop. We'll record part two, uh, after our trip. That sounds wonderful. I think it's important to remember that anything you think it will be, it won't be. So it'll be <laughs> nice to, to close the loop. All right. Hey everyone. We are back on the podcast. It is about a week, a little more than a week since uh, what you just heard us uh, record. Uh, so it is Saturday, the 16th of October. And uh, I've thrown with me here. Um, as you know, we had just embarked on a two and a half day hunting expedition in the wilderness of Pennsylvania. And Soren, should we just uh, address the elephant in the room? Or the deer in the room, or yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think that's a good idea. Um, so unfortunately, we didn't harvest any deer, which, uh, as the amateur guide on hand, I feel greatly responsible for our shortcomings. But I've uh, I've started to beat myself up a little bit less about it in the in the days since. So. Um, there we go. Well, we we saw one to two deers, right, in our in our party, uh-huh. and I think it was still a pretty awesome experience, even though we weren't able to actually shoot any deer. Yeah, I think that um, as people have asked, you know, how was the trip? Friends, acquaintances, who knew I was going. I said, well, it was it was your typical awesome run-of-the-mill hunting trip. We were cold, we got wet feet, we were bored, uh, we hiked a lot, we sat still a lot, and we didn't really see any deer, um, except for the the few that we saw at a distance. So I think that for you and the other first-time hunters on the trip, it's a really good opportunity to see it, it, it's very intentional that it's called hunting and not killing um, because mm. it really is hunting is a combination of grit, persistence, and dumb luck. And when all three of those kind of line up in a, in a line, then you are able to, to harvest an animal. But outside of that, it can be a real challenge. Um, and it wasn't for lack of trying, you know, we did, we we put in a lot of miles and yeah. Tell tell people of, how we how we actually the structure of the two and a half days we spent. Yeah, so there were uh, you know a few places of interest. Um, I was somewhat familiar with the area that we were going to be hunting in, and there were a few places that I wanted to check out. So on the first night, we hiked in about two and a half miles. Um, from the access point, dropped down into a into a drainage with a creek, and there was a 
there was a meadow with some apple trees still bearing fruit that I wanted to, to be at at first light in the morning. So basically what we were doing is moving our camp with us and just having a few areas of interest that we wanted to, to set up on. And with archery, with archery equipment, it's really about, about ambushing, about sort of determining where there might be deer getting in air a little before them and then hanging out until they show up. So it's a lot of sitting as, as Assad found out, which I have to commend you on your diligent patience. I mean, it really is, it's a stark contrast to our day to day. Mm -hmm. um, it's very rare that we spend, you know, two, three hours sitting in one place, not doing anything. Um, and so it would be periods of sitting punctuated by hiking to the next location. Uh, we had four people in the group, which I think did not play to our advantage, really pr making probably too much noise and a little bit too stinky in the woods. Um, but we had some, you know, occasional times where we, where we would split up. And mm -hmm. uh, we just moved through about 15 miles of terrain in that fashion uh, over the two and a half days. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's definitely an experience for me. Uh, I, I remember this one moment where I, we were walking, I think the night of the second day was darkness. We had our head, headlamps on, we were walking. And then I remember just like, when we were hiking, I remember my foot just going down like five inches into the ground and I had, and it was like a spoink sound and I was just like <laughs> in swamp, <laughs> totally underprepared. I, I know you had like given me a whole spiel on like the right shoes and I kind of half ignored it and like I really you know, felt it there. Um, but there was definitely an element of living in wilderness that um, we had really good equipment, right? Uh, and, 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 and a good setup. Um, but it also made me realize it's not necessarily as easy or idealistic as, as you may think it is, right? No, not at all. I mean, I think that's such a, a great thing. And, and where we were, you know, it's, it's not real backcountry. It's not like the Rockies where you're, you know, dozens and dozens of miles away from any form of civilization. But we were back in the woods far enough where there are no cars. We didn't see any other people for two and a half days. Um, you you get an immersion into into the natural world that we don't often get, especially people like yourselves who live in the city. Uh, I think it's very easy for, for nature to become an abstraction. But when you're out there and you realize nature really doesn't care whether your feet get wet whether you're cold, whether you're hungry, you name it. Um, for me, at least, it brings a real gratitude for just very simple things like my toilet, uh, the water that comes out of my sink, and my refrigerator and stove, like really simple stuff. My mattress, um, which I think is always a nice, I always like to get out into the woods like that because you get that reset. Mm -hmm. Um, where some of those things that can be taken for granted, at least I do, are um, not taken for granted. Yeah. 
something we were talking about before we we started recording was this idea of just our supply chains being so consistent. Uh, you said like you know what if every time you go went to the grocery store there was only 5% chance of like you getting what you wanted to get or 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 whatever it is. Oh, say more about that. Yeah, I think that I think that we don't at least before I started hunting I really didn't think much about the connection to my food you know that's something in in my professional life that i've really been focusing on recently and then through hunting as well you know I, let's be honest it was frustrating to be out there for two and a half days breaking camp at six o'clock in the morning and pitching it at eight o'clock at night and not getting close enough to to have a good shot at any deer and you know that there's a morality there there's a challenge to it that we just never experience because you you know people who are lucky enough to live in our circumstances in the way that we do you go to the store you buy your food and then you come home and you prepare it it's pretty straightforward um but i think that going on a trip like this at least for me also reminds me how lucky we are to have that because if you have to just go out there and rely on all those things lining up that we talked about it's really quite hard and at least i'm aware that i would probably go really hungry really quickly um yeah. you know i think there's a a challenge to that um so i think overall we've really covered a lot of the the elements of hunting that in a strange way are rewarding um uh uh sort of outdoorsman that i really like has a quote where he says the really good times are the ones that suck during it and then afterwards you always have a good story to tell we're never like the story never is oh yeah we had a great time it was really easy weather was great everything went smoothly <laughs> the story that we would tell is like, oh, well, we came up short and we soaked our feet through and we sat aimlessly for hours. And, you know, I think there's a, there's sort of a merit to the challenge of it. Yeah. Uh, as we wrap up for folks who are interested in getting into hunting or learning more, um, what were some resources that you looked at or things that you recommend for listeners? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it's it's a bit of a quagmire out there for content around hunting because um, at least in my experience, a lot of it doesn't resonate with me at all. Uh, I really approach hunting with a, a reverence and a spirituality and a commitment to ancestral history that I think is not is not really touched on. Some of the individuals that I that I really like are um, Steve Rinella, uh, very well known. I think he actually has a show called The Meat Eater on Netflix, which is a good a good resource just to sort of get a feel for things. Uh, also, Daniel Vitalis, who has a podcast called Wild Fed about really reconnecting with ancestral lineage of hunting and gathering. Um, I think both are are a really good place to start. And then there are all these things that 
just fall under the umbrella. So if you're interested in hunting white-tailed deer, go pick up a biology textbook about white-tailed deer and just learn about the species or learn about the habitat that they live in. What type of plants do they eat? Learn about plant identification, learn about trees. There are plenty, plenty of different places that you can sort of sink your teeth in a little bit and start to get a feel for you know, the real knowledge and understanding you need of the natural world that often isn't encouraged or isn't present in our very civilized, in quotation marks, and, um, and urban lives. Great. All right, well, uh, I think our listeners will really enjoy our conversation. And, you know, this was recorded, you know, we didn't know we wouldn't catch deer in the first part. And so it's, it's very, it's very uh, uncut. And uh, I think that was the intention. Yeah, we're going to have to get you out here uh, this year. I think your hunting license is still good till the end of January. So hopefully we can get something lined up on the books and, <laughs> and make it happen. This is you, you peer pressuring me. Uh, I, it, it, it definitely is. 